Hi, I'm George Tekmachev, back with my friend Tom Dielan, Secretary General of World Archery, who has been a busy man this week, along with his staff. Hi, Tom. Hi, George. It's a pleasure to be back. And yes, it's been a really busy week, but it's not going to get calmer over the next two days. No, it's in fact going into overdrive now. We are at the Lausanne World Cup, and uh, that's the second stage of the World Cup. Uh, would have been in Shanghai, but of course, circumstances have dictated that uh, the World Archery Center and the staff of World Archery and the Canton of Vaude and Switzerland step up to bring this live event to the world. And it has been a great success so far this week, Tom. Yeah, I think it's been uh, it's been going quite well. We we have had some challenges which we were expecting. We we've made it clear from the start that we would not be able to deliver on all the things that normally people expect. I think one of the the big topics of the week has been that there was no practice field, uh, which was simply not possible to get a size of a field big enough to have both the competition and have practice and the, the actual field we were used for the finals had to be constructed from day one, which also took that away. And then the other situation is that we, we are uh, confronted still with the, the COVID situation and, and, and the, we needed to keep a bubble. So it was not a question of just simply going outside and go to a local club or something like that to, to have some practice. Yeah. And, you know, usually when you go to an event like a World Cup in a place like that, that's exactly what you can do. You can go to a local club, for example, in, uh, in, in many of the venues, uh, many of the local clubs step up to open up their facilities to the archers so that they have extra opportunity to shoot and that kind of thing. And with the current situation, it's understandable that that wasn't available. But overall, uh, the event seems to have gone very much like a normal World Cup from the results standpoint, from the turnout standpoint. Certainly, from the standpoint of the scores, um, we're seeing very high performances. Absolutely, and uh, and okay, we have I would say a mix between I would say the typical ones we you expect, uh, the Brady Ellisons, the Mike Schlessers, uh, but we also have some I would say uh, some new faces coming up, and I think it's it's a good mix, and uh, I think it's it's the typical uh, I would say variation we were expecting at the beginning of the season. Many people are having their first event. I've I've heard many coaches and artists say uh, it's great to be back in competition, but we need more competition because we need to get that feeling back. And, and I think this has been the, uh, and some people have better coped with, I would say, that break and some others really need competition. Yes, agreed. I think that, um, you know, as we've talked about previously, the fact that some countries, uh, Korea prominent among them, has foregone, has deliberately made the choice not to compete in the World Cup means that Tokyo is going to be one of the first big events that uh, their archers travel for and go to. And uh, that's that's a bit risky, I think. But they seem to know what they've been doing in the past, and I, I am sure that they'll have good results in Tokyo. But we'll talk about Tokyo a little bit. But right now, um, looking at Lausanne, uh, just the recurve men's category, uh, your point about new faces is certainly uh, coming into play here. We are seeing new faces in half of the men's final. Uh, Nicholas oh, Demore of Virgin Islands, the United States, and uh, Yun Sanchez of Spain joins Brady Ellison and Max uh, Weckmuller of Germany for the men's recurve final. The semifinals will take place, and then the finals will see who's shooting for gold this weekend. 
Yeah, I think uh, well, Nicolas Damour is, is starting to become, I would say, uh, not a surprise anymore. He's he's been now uh, in in every tournament he has shot uh, so far since since basically Antalya last year. He's been on the forefront and, in, and really an archer that people start looking at. So it's he's starting to become a a known name, but he's he's, he's still not qualified for the games. Um, uh, we know he has a request in for an invitation place. But I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he qualifies in, in Paris because he's really uh, doing very well. Um, uh, his, his weakness so far has been the second half of the qualification round, where typically on the first uh, 36 arrows, he's, he's really among the top ones. And the second half is a little bit weaker. But here it was still good enough to be in the top eight. And he's beaten Nespoli. Uh, he's, he's Mr. Shudov, uh, as, as we've seen. He's... He's won several of his matches against, uh, for instance, against Nespoli in a shootoff, and he's he's a very tough uh, opponent in a shootoff for sure. Yes, and in fact, he found himself in a shootoff going into the final eight. He was tied um, and had to win a shootoff in order to make the top eight against no one else than uh, Steve Weiler, which is also not a, I would say, an unknown archer, and he's he's also very strong in in, in that exercise. Yes, in fact, Netherlands has been quite strong, and um, it's a little surprising to see that the Netherlands guys did not make it. Um, into, you know, other than Steve Weiler, the, the top nine, um, the French team was um, not at the level that maybe they might have hoped. Um, a few others include uh, maybe the gentleman from Great Britain um, who are back for the first time in a long time. That could have gone either way. Um, the, the compound side of Great Britain, we'll talk about, they did pretty well, but... Uh, not as well uh, for the men for, for GBR and France not having the performance I think that they might have hoped for. Well, it's 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 a little bit uh, yeah they're not far off. Uh, and then the, the the interesting thing is that the uh, the number four of the team uh, in the women, uh, the one that is not going to be on the team for uh, Tokyo if they qualify a team. She's the one shooting in the semis, so uh, it's 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 probably a question of pressure building up towards the Europeans, uh, which are very close now. Uh, the fact that they they are expected to come back from Antalya with at least one men and one women's place, so it's probably a little bit of pressure building up, and then Paris uh, as well. Um, GBR um, definitely there. Um, I talked with uh, with with team management and, and and Richard Priestman, the coach, and they they really say they need more competition. They unfortunately will not go to the Europeans because of an issue with travel restrictions. But they have the places. They 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 are they just need to build up the competitions experience uh, up to the the games because they they're the only European team that has the full quota. Well, you brought up the uh, the French women, and Audrey Audition of France is uh, joined by two archers from the Russian Federation, Svetlana Gomboyeva and Ksenia Perova, along with Lisa Unruh of Germany for the finals. And um, I wasn't surprised to see Lisa in the finals. Um, pleasantly surprised to see Audrey there. Not surprised by Russia. Russia has come out of the gate fairly strong. Well, Russia is the other women's team from Europe uh, qualified uh... Uh, already in the world champs and um, and Perova is 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 this is her weather. Uh, I've I've always seen her compete well when it was not nice sunshine and a little bit miserable rain and cold. She's there. Uh, I remember her very much uh, in in Rome practicing together with Kibo uh, um, uh, Bay uh, and and being ready for the finals uh, in Rome and 
yeah, she's she's a she's a tough lady. And if we drop down to the top ten for the women, uh, Russia was fully represented there with Ina Stepanova in the uh, uh, ranked ninth, and uh, we had uh, Elena Osipova, who's a relatively newer shooter, who ranked sixth going into uh, the finals. We also saw that uh, Moldova's uh, Alexandra Mirza uh, was seventh. And Michelle Kropin of Germany was fifth. Michelle shooting quite strongly in the qualification round. Yeah, Michelle uh, came out uh, on top uh, as such. And uh, she, I, it's good to see that uh, um, the, the German team is really heading up to, uh, I would say, being ready for Europeans and, and, and the Olympics uh, quite clearly. And uh, they, they, they know that uh, they have a, a, an enormous, I would say, legacy uh, from when they had a team in the last Olympics, they participated as a team. They got away with a medal, the one before as well. So they have they have some pressure going to Tokyo, but uh, should be okay. Sure. We didn't see too many archers from Asia make it to the event, but we did see Binchindi uh, Urantungalag of Mongolia, um, who I was expecting to do pretty well here. She uh, she was in the uh, third group as far as uh, as far as her outcome. And then we had the team from Bangladesh. Bangladesh's women did not do as well as I might have expected, but um, you know it's good to see everybody back from that standpoint. We did not see anybody from obviously Japan or from uh, Korea to see what's going on. Also, China was unable to attend at this particular event. I think, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong. We will see China in Paris, right? No, I, at the moment it's not foreseen, nor China, nor Chinese Taipei, nor Korea, nor Japan. So uh, there is some chance that Japan and Taipei would be going to the Korean event, which is uh, overlapping with the Europeans. Ah. But uh, since participation is very low, there won't really be any indicator of, of, of performance level. Uh, so... Um, uh, we will have to wait and see. Uh, maybe uh, that tournament will get a little bit more participation, but I doubt it. Then I, the good thing of Bangladesh was, of course, uh, they're shooting uh, for the gold in the mixed team, uh, which uh, is very promising uh, as such. Uh, Absolutely. Where they will shoot against the, the Dutch team. So uh, that, that, that's, that is for me the, uh, the final to look forward to, Bangladesh-Netherlands on the, in the mixed team. That's really that's going to be a very interesting match. I think it'll also be one of the highlights of the Tokyo games, you know, because it'll be the first uh, extra medal that archery has had since 88. And I think that that is going to have a lot of attention, the, the mixed team event in Tokyo. And maybe um, that has become a goal for some of these countries. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's clear that for uh, uh, the two countries is shooting for gold here. Are, and even the ones for bronze, uh, Canada and Mexico, all four of those teams will be, unless there is a, I would say, a, a big surprise in, in Paris, uh, very likely not have a team, uh, but uh, they, uh, they for sure have a mixed team, and a mixed team that is performing. Um, and uh, uh, Bangladesh, uh, yes, they have, they have two teams here, but uh, they, the, the combination of one man and one woman works for them. The Netherlands, uh, uh, it's clear that the men's team they have, but the women's side, they, they have uh, two performing archers at the moment, but three is, is this is difficult. Sometimes it's, it's, it's okay to have two performing archers in, in, a, in a gender, but it's that third one that is 
always making the difference. And and uh, talking with some of the coaches preparing for Paris, uh, they, they say as well is that oh the number two we know who we're taking, but who is the third one we're going to put with them? Well, we're certainly in the same situation here in the United States, where we have a couple of women who are shooting strongly, but that third spot is uncertain. And um, the U.S., as an example, would have to podium in Paris with a full women's team uh, to be able to to have that situation. And that's that is absolutely not granted. Similarly, unfortunately, in the United States, uh, we have a couple of strong men. But that third spot is is uncertain as well, and um, we would have to see a situation in Paris where the U.S. men would be able to podium to be able to send a men's team. However, the U.S. does have uh, a man and a woman qualified, so the mixed team event is something that is within reach. Absolutely, and I think it's a, strong, a very strong mixed team. Uh, whoever of the, I would say, the, the two and two who could make it, uh, will be uh, either combination of that one will work uh, and uh, uh, it's clear with the defending uh, uh, the world the current world champion uh, and defend and defending bronze medalist uh, with Brady uh, it, it's going to be a very strong on the men's side and 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 it's good to see uh, Mackenzie back in shape and and, and uh, next week are the trial so uh, uh, Casey uh, is up for a challenge from McKenzie for sure and, and hopefully they can get a third one that can bring them the team position and, uh, uh, and we'll see what happens Yes, that, that is going to be interesting to see that's happening here in Salt Lake City and um, it'll be interesting to watch because I think that that will give us a good indication of who has the momentum going into Paris and, and ultimately to Tokyo so that will be uh, an interesting week of event at the Eastern Archery Center in Salt Lake City, where the Olympic trials will be taking place soon. Looking at the compound side of the field, um, we have seen some of the same faces, but some new ones as well. And when we look at the compound men, it's uh, with the exception of Mike Schlusser, it's all new men. Um, Denmark has Matthias Fullerton. France has Adrian Gontier. And Federico Pagnoni, who's a, a well-known guy from Italy, uh, those are the finalists along with Mr. Perfect, Mike Schlusser. So that should be an exciting compound men's final. But um, we saw some standouts dropping out, um, including world champion Jimmy Lutz of the United States of America um, and a number of others who, uh, you know, Domagach Budin, world field champion, Braden Galantine, who was expected to continue his storming of the podium um, was in the third group. And uh, it was nice to see Patrizio Hoffer from Switzerland back in action. Yeah, we, I, we had, we, the thing is we had, uh, I, actually, Patrizio was, I would say, the number 24, I think, in the qualification round, or 23rd was around that, that number, which was the, 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 the high, the, I would say the 700 barrier. Uh, he, he just broke 700, and, and all the ones in front shot, shot more than 700. Uh, Mike was first in the in in the qualification round uh, as such. Uh, I it's clear that the level is very very close, and uh, we will see um, how this will evolve. And uh, there will be and this will probably be a, a discussion for a future podcast. But there will be some some discussion on on scoring and and what we want to do 
for compound, but not only for compound for EQ as well, in terms of uh, targets, uh, size, scoring, and so on, that will go to our Congress and we'll see what comes out of it because it is really, really tight uh, in the compound men. And, and that, that means that, that, okay, you can have matches uh, uh, going to a very close finish, uh, shoot-offs and, and so on. And, and then, okay, uh, people that you expect to be in, in the front run uh, drop out. Uh, having said that, um, uh, I haven't checked. Uh, maybe you did, but I'm pretty sure those four that are in there, I am sure for Mike, have broken four, uh, 700 in, in the ranking round. Yeah, I'm not sure about a couple of them, but I, I believe that that's the case for Federico and uh, and for Adrian. But um, I, I think the real issue here that you brought up is something that we have touched upon in the past and will touch upon in the future, and that is what's the future of the compound round? Will it be a longer distance and the same target? Will it be a smaller target at 50 meters? Will it be something in between or will it be something different? And uh, as you say, that's being discussed. Um, I know that uh, you're getting input from athletes, from officials, from influencers, and from um, the body of work that has gone into the last several years of the current round as it stands. And adjustments have been made along the way. And um, I think that just like uh, any other effort, the refinement is, is going to be something that I think everybody will appreciate down the road. Whatever turns up at Congress in Yankton, is going to be something that comes up after a long period of discussion and thought. Yeah, and, and okay, I, the, the, the Congress might even decide not to make any change, and, but I think it, uh, what it will for sure do is, is, is uh, that there will be a healthy discussion and, and we will see what happens. Uh, uh, in, in a few days, it uh, will be 25 years since I first stepped in the, at that time FITA office in Milan, and one thing I've learned is be patient for changes because it doesn't happen in one day. So uh, we will see what happens. And okay, some it might pass, it might not pass. Uh, we still have uh, time for amendments to come in uh, on the original proposal. So we might have some completely new things coming up that we're not aware of yet. But we'll see. Uh, it will be interesting. That is a milestone, Tom. 25 years is a milestone. And congratulations on that. That is uh, amazing. Yeah, makes me old. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all it's all about how you act, not how how what the number on the calendar is. The uh, in fact, I'd like like to have a discussion with you about uh, maybe some reminiscence of some of those past uh, quarter century um, in world archery and uh, recount some of the big changes we've had. Maybe we can do that for a future podcast soon. Absolutely. Moving on to the women's compound, um, I don't think anybody is terribly surprised to see that Andrea Marcos has made her return to competition pretty much, I think, like I said in the uh, commentary that uh, I gave to Chris Wells uh, last week, looking at the preview of the event, she was on fire and uh, she proved it. She was oh, one she... of those people who really took the time off and, and applied it really well. Well, she she was on her way to go to Guatemala, and unfortunately, uh, a positive uh, test stopped her from going. So uh, she she wanted to come here and show uh, uh, that it was a, a real, uh, I would say, uh, sad situation for her because she would have been on fire as well in Guatemala for sure. 
And and okay, the, the, I I think this is the, the 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 one category where you have the least, I would say, surprises, knowing that uh, Sara Lopez is isn't here. Uh, the Colombian team uh, decided not to come with the compound to uh, to Lausanne. So uh, seeing those four names, uh, no one uh, is 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 shocked or surprised by seeing those four names. Uh, Absolutely. Some people might say, well, who is that galantine with the women? But okay, because they might haven't noticed yet that she's now galantine and no longer uh, Jensen. But uh, for the rest, everyone uh, could have expected those four names. That's sure. Yes. Two archery power couples are represented in the women's final. They are Tanya Galantine of Denmark, who has married Braden Galantine of the United States. And we have Linda Ochoa Anderson of the United States of America, formerly representing Mexico. And of course, uh, Steve Anderson, um, uh, Linda's uh, husband, and Andrea Marcos, as we've mentioned, world champion, reigning world champion, uh, Natalia Avdieva of the Russian Federation is also in the top four for this final coming up on Saturday. Tanya Galantine will be coming into the final on a roll after having participated in the final silver medal in the last World Cup event that took place in Guatemala. Absolutely, and uh, I, I think uh, Tanya is really uh, one of the the, the the most successful archers uh, in the compound women's at the moment. She's really the the opponent of of Sara Lopez, and uh, uh, and I, I, all, all four of the ones here. It's it's really uh, I would say the women you expect to to be at uh, the, the the front uh, at the, these events. But okay, you have then some someone some others missing like Paige Pierce as uh, uh, Sarah Priels. Sarah Priels uh, had a talk with her and, and she's been really suffering from the lack of competition and even lack of practice because she had a very hard time uh, going out to to her uh, club range. Uh, she's living in. Uh, in Scotland, as most of you might know, and and uh, and the restrictions there were very tough, and and she had no chance to really uh, practice. So, she she shot quite well, uh, but uh, not consistent enough to be uh, with the first ones. Yeah, we had a number of standouts. Uh, Sophie Dodimont of France, uh, mm -hmm. it was in there, and we had, uh, as you mentioned, Paige Pierce of the United States. Marcella Tonioli of Italy is back in action. Savannah yeah. van der Weer of the United States of America, who was also a, uh, a finalist in the last event, um, finished in the top uh, nine group. Uh, Jody Vermeulen of Netherlands, um, Sarah Priels, as you mentioned, Alexis Ruiz of the United States of America. Toya Ellison finished eighth, the wife of uh, Brady Ellison, uh, still representing Slovenia. Uh, Elisa Rohner of Italy. Yasim Bostan of Turkey is back in action. She finished sixth, tied with uh, Miri Marita uh, Pass of Estonia. So our top four finalists are Natalia Avdieva, Tanya Galantine, Andrea Marcos, and Linda Ochoa Anderson of the United States of America. It should be a great final on Compound Saturday, as those women are highly competitive. And then uh, let's let's preview that mixed team situation because I think that, as you mentioned, Tom is a very interesting one and one that will probably get a lot of excitement going um, as, as we look at the recurve mixed teams, as you mentioned, it is going to be Bangladesh versus Netherlands. And that is, um, you know, we've got a couple of uh, interesting things there. First, it's kind of a battle of coaches 
because Martin <laughs> is uh, Martin Frederick, uh, formerly the German coach, has been coaching Bangladesh to great effect uh, for the last few years. And the Netherlands, of course, has uh, has some veterans uh, in the coaching box. Uh, and I think that that's going to be an interesting thing, too. Yeah, no, it's, it, it is. And, and OK, it's um, uh, Gabi and Jeff uh, for the Netherlands, uh, I, I think is a, a fantastic duo. And um, um, we have, uh, well, the, the, the girl from, from Bangladesh is, is, I would say, the newcomer. And, and she shot really well. Yeah, Miss Sadiq. Uh, yeah, in this in the semis and uh, and and Roman, uh, well, he's he's a little bit shooting at home. Uh, he has a home advantage, I would say, because he spent uh, I think around nine or ten months in the center uh, uh, before he returned back to to, to Bangladesh to, to to train with with Martin Frederick, and and so he he knows the field because he's shot on it so many times. So he has a little bit of a home advantage. Uh, let's see if that plays in their favor. Yeah, Bangladesh beat Germany in the one-eighth elimination, five-one, and Germany had a strong team. Um, and then they beat Spain, five-four, and then they beat Canada. So they they have rolled through some strong shooters to get to where they are for this gold medal final. Netherlands um, defeated uh, Kazakhstan in a clean uh, 6-0, and then five-three uh, over France, and then beat Mexico six-two. Uh, that must have been. Interesting for Gabriela Schlosser to have to shoot against her former teammates from Mexico. Oh, yes. That must have been real fun for her. No doubt. For the compound mixed teams, we have uh, Denmark, Great Britain, Netherlands, and the USA shooting in the final. The teams of, ne- of Denmark are Tanya Galantine and Stefan Hansen. So that's a powerhouse team right there. Stefan Hansen, the multi-world champion. Tanya Galantine coming off of... Uh, as I mentioned previously, success uh, with a silver medal at the Guatemala World Cup, uh, formerly as Tanya Jensen, uh, having done a great deal in terms of uh, representing Denmark in the women's uh, finals in many events in the last couple of years. Netherlands has Jody Vermeulen, uh, another strong shooter with Mr. Perfect, Mike Schlusser. Netherlands is going to be tough to beat, Tom. But uh, the United States of America has Linda Ochoa Anderson, and Braden Galantine. Yeah, and it will be it will be a very interesting match that for the bronze the, between Britain and the US. Okay, US definitely being the favorite there, but the, the British team decided to give the advantage not to the best ranked uh, athletes, but to, to put the the Paralympic team uh, as the ones doing the mixed team, which was is an interesting choice, but it has worked so far. Uh, made them get to the bronze medal match. And and it's and it's a tactical choice by the British team management because they said they saw little competition for para archers and we want to make sure that they are ready for the Paralympics uh, in uh, in Tokyo. So I must say all all hats off to them and and uh, they made it to the bronze uh, match. Um, let's see if it's a, it's the right decision uh, already tomorrow and then uh, especially in Tokyo. Yeah, it's a brilliant move from the standpoint of 100 days to the Paralympic Games, uh, just about as we speak today. And it does give the advantage to uh, their para team in terms of having a little bit of trial by fire. And I think that that will be uh, a great one to watch because GBR versus USA. Those Paralympians are nothing to sneeze at from their capabilities. And uh, we will see how that goes. In the meantime, the gold medal match is going to be Netherlands versus Denmark, and I have no idea which one of those two. When you've got, you know, on the men's side, you got Stefan Hansen, world champion, Mike Schluser, world champion, 
Jody Vermeulen, highly experienced shooter. Tanya Galantine might make the difference for Denmark, um, depending upon how things roll. Yeah, I, you, you never know because, okay, we all know Mike. Uh, <laughs> he can yeah. do uh, wonders, uh, but he can also have that, uh, that small reaction on the last arrow. Uh, actually, the, the Dutch broke uh, uh, in, and I think it was in the semifinals, they broke the European record. With 159, I'm, I, I must say, I don't know. It was the last end where the nine was shot. But I, uh, having seen the X count, it must have been very, very close to, to a new world record if they would have put the four tens in the last end. So I'm not sure if it was the last arrow. I, I have no idea which of the two shot the nine, but it's a European record and it could have been with one arrow closer to the center of world record. So they, they're in, in definitely in shape. In the compound team competition for the men, the bronze medal match has already taken place, and it came down to Italy versus the United States of America. And Braden Galantine, uh, world champion, James Lutz, world champion, Chris Schaff, world cup champion. Um, those guys were up against Italy, which was Marco Bruno, Federico Pagnoni, and of course, the return to competition of Sergio Pagni. And that bronze medal match ended up with a victory for Italy in a shoot-off. What was that like to watch after all this time? Well, it was definitely an exciting match. Um, and okay, like you said, um, on paper, you should have clearly given the, the edge to, uh, to the U.S., but I, it went to a shoot-off. It's so close and, and, and um, yeah, great match. Um, and um, I would say one of many to come for the future, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So our gold medal final on Compound Saturday is going to be Netherlands versus Turkey. And Netherlands has uh, Seal Potter and uh, Max Verwert. And uh, then we've got Mike Schlusser uh, representing Netherlands. Mm -hmm. So Mike with a couple of shooters who have not had such a high profile. But Turkey, um, I, I, Evan Kadran and uh, Furkan Oric and Jakob Yildiz. Um, you know, Everin has certainly been a fixture on the World Cup circuit for the last few years, but you wouldn't have expected necessarily that Turkey would have risen to uh, to do what they did to beat Russia to get to where they are and then to beat the USA by a point. Uh, that's a great performance from Turkey to make it to the gold final. Yeah, I, when, when we talk about Turkey and, and Copa, we most of the time expect the women. Sure. Uh, men, men did really well, um, and, and, and in a certain sense, they're saving the week for the Turkish team in general uh, because uh, it's the, the only final uh, they're involved in uh, during the weekend, uh, and hopefully it will create the, the drive uh, to be all ready for uh, their own uh, event, the European Championships, uh, in a few days from now, where a lot is at stake, of course, for the European countries and the Olympics. So the compound women's team event is another highlight of compound Saturday in Lausanne and um, going into the gold medal final, it, this should be quite, quite a match. It's going to be USA versus Russia. We'll talk about that in a moment, but first the bronze medal match that took place already uh, saw France up against Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh, Iran has always had a pretty strong women's compound team. France has also had a very strong compound women's team, uh, headed up by Sophie Dodimont, uh, Lola Grandjean, and uh, Tiffany Renaudin. And I think that um, 
a couple of those are relative newcomers to the stage in World Cups. But, uh, you know, they, they had a bit of a trial by fire. Estonia did not make it easy for them. They had to win. France had to win a shootoff against Estonia. And then um, they found themselves up against Russian Federation, um, where they went down by three points uh, with Natalia Avdieva, Victoria Balzanova, and Irina uh, Cherkezova, uh, who had already beaten Italy. Uh, so France versus Russia, that fell in favor of Russia. That's why Russia will be up against USA. But in that bronze medal final, like France versus Iran, it was France uh, by a fairly wide margin of eight points. The gold medal final uh, taking place is going to be interesting. Uh, you've got Linda Ochoa Anderson, Paige Pierce, Savannah Vanderveer of the United States. They will be up against that powerhouse Russian Federation team with world champion Natalia Avdieva with Victoria Baldzanova and Rina Cherkezova. No, no predictions here. That could be a no, really close a, match. It's one of those matches where it can go either way and, and it will be a, a final arrow decider, I'm pretty sure. Yep, I, I think I'm with you on that. And I think that that is going to be one of the highlights of Compound Saturday, USA versus Russia for the women's gold. We're looking forward to that. And Tom, all of these events are going to be available to viewers worldwide in some form or another. Uh, if you could maybe give us a quick explainer as to yeah, each major region. On, yeah, it depends on the country as such, but for sure in most countries, it will be on Facebook and, and, and YouTube. Uh, if for any reason it's not available, then you should be able to find it on our social media where you can find it. Um, for the ones here in Switzerland will be on La Tele which is the local uh, television uh, we have uh, one of the French networks taking it the highlights will be on Eurosport we uh, will be uh, live in, in several other countries so it, it really I would say if you don't know where to look first look at Facebook and, 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 and YouTube and then if that doesn't work you should be able to find it through the social media on where it is being uh transmitted and uh, we will be having uh, as usual uh, our uh, commentary team with, with Karim uh, and um, as we started in Guatemala we have Nikki Hunt as a specialist commentator and Nikki being both a top level compound and Rika Vacher will be helping Karim to understand our sport even better. So moving on to European Championship it is a significant event every time when an Olympic Games slot or three is, is at stake. Um, what is your perspective on, you know, the, the importance of this World Cup providing momentum to those countries that are counting on that uh, event? Well, I think that, uh, like I said earlier on, is that uh, it, it is uh, a good preparation for it now. Uh, like I said, it was also the bringing out uh, some of the the, the comments uh, on this this week is that some say, oh, we need to be ready for uh, for Antalya, so we need more practice facilities and so on. But I, I think that uh, we will see um, clearly the, the big countries uh, that haven't places yet from Europe. Uh, I'm talking uh, France, I'm talking uh, Turkey, uh, I'm talking uh, in the, the women, uh, we have uh, Spain, uh, in the men, Germany, uh, uh, then Russia in the men, uh, Poland, uh, both men and women, 
So there is there is several of I would say the the, the bigger European countries still looking for some or even uh, I would say a, a second place, and and there is four places in men and four places in women at stake. So it's one more than was the case in 2016, uh, and and we will see because that will be a, an, an important. Uh, parameter when we get to Paris a few weeks later. And uh, uh, if uh, I would say one of those big countries uh, fails in Antalya, the pressure will even build up much higher to perform in, in Paris. And uh, so it will, be, it will be a factor because um, that will, I think, have a major influence on the team competition in Paris as well. Uh, because if a country goes to Paris having an individual place, it changes the approach because at worst, you're still going to the Olympics with one person. If you go to Paris with nothing and you have to win either, the pressure is much higher. Absolutely. And, and you know, that can't be understated. I think that the... Best plan, of course, will be to try to at least get that single slot and then, you know, go to Paris with something in your pocket because, uh, yeah, the, the pressure has to be astronomical on countries that don't have any slots at all, finding themselves in Paris and hoping to be able to get a slot for Tokyo. Especially for the host country, France, because yes. they're not only the host of Paris, but also the host of the next Olympic Games. And, and they absolutely need uh, at least one place uh, for the Games. Yes, and with only three years to go to prepare before the Paris Olympic Games, things are even more critical from that perspective. Well, we have um, maybe a good opportunity now to talk a little bit more about Tokyo. Uh, in the last few days, the playbook for the Tokyo event, for the workforce, for the athletes, for the officials, has been released, updated, I should say. And the COVID restrictions, the uh, expectations for Safety and the field of play, things of that nature, have been about 95% revealed by that playbook. It is really quite a tight set of parameters that I have seen for Tokyo, Tom. Even though we, we said it was going to be that way, when you see what they're saying uh, about uh, the safety protocols in place, you realize this will be an Olympics like no other. Uh, definitely, and let's keep it that way, that they will be like none other, because uh, I think uh, uh, Olympic Games is about uh, not only about sport, but it's also about getting together with all the countries of the world in, in a peaceful environment. Uh, and, and, and I would say, if I think of some of the previous uh, Olympics, uh, Ramblas in Barcelona, the Docks in, in, in Sydney, uh, there is always an area in the city where you are, where there is all the people get together, where an athlete suddenly turns up, you have all that crowd around it. And, 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 and it's really a special feeling. Uh, and, and, and that feeling won't be there in Tokyo because there will be social distancing, there will be masks, there will be all those restrictions. The athletes only going village venue and back to the village. Uh, uh, all of the staff going hotel uh, venue and, and back. And, and, and that, is, that is going to not be there now i know they are working on a lot of creative solutions to get an atmosphere in another way and and, and we will see how that goes but it will be really tv olympics let's face it it's going to be more than ever tv olympics so uh, obs and and their crews will do a fantastic job uh, as they have done in the past but they will really show the 
the the social aspect will be at home uh, watching it on television uh, and uh, through the social ne- media networks and and so on. Well, as they say in Japan, Skataganai can't be helped because of the situation as it stands right now. It's understandable, but it is disappointing, and and uh, it is really quite um, restrictive. I, I you know I mean I knew intellectually that it was going to be restrictive, but when you see the actual step by step everything people have to go through. I, I will say that I think it's really valuable for the athletes now to be getting the experience of, um, you know, some of the protocols, you know, that they're going to experience, uh, that they have experienced this past week in Lausanne, that they will experience in Paris. You mentioned, Tom, earlier that Paris is going to be highly restrictive from the standpoint of uh, some of this stuff, too. Oh, yeah, I think we, we, we're going in steps. We start with Guatemala, which was still quite relaxed. In Lausanne, was already getting stricter and stricter. Paris will be even more strict. And then Tokyo will be very strict. And, and, and I think it's an educational uh, process as well. Uh, um, I think we, we all want to avoid it, but we have to give several warnings to athletes. Now, those warnings um uh, might be i would say uh, seen negatively by by some people and so on but but this is mainly to make sure that we don't end up with people being disqualified in tokyo and their accreditation removed and sent back home because of i would say not wearing a mask and, and not keeping distance and so on yeah and it's it's it is sad but it, okay if we if it happens it's 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 again it's it's the, the whole thing is about making sure that people understand it's about creating a safe environment. It's not uh, because of making rules to make rules. Uh, we, we all hate rules, let's face it. Uh, uh, if we drive on the street, we don't like to, to be uh, watched by a policeman with a radar and getting a, a speed ticket because we all speed, let's face it. Uh, and uh, this, 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 is, this is unfortunately the case that uh, we... Uh, we have to live with it. Uh, vaccination, everyone coming from outside of Japan, in my, my guess is if they had a possibility to get a vaccine, they will be vaccinated. Uh, all of our staff will be vaccinated. Our judges will be vaccinated. Uh, so we, we want to, to keep the risk as low as possible. And, and then uh, we will have games that will allow us to celebrate after the games, maybe not so much during the games, but after the games that we had them, that we have fantastic Olympic champions, Olympic medalists, Olympians. The, the, the fact, uh, I, I think it will be special for all 128 uh, athletes going to the games that they will be able to tell in a few years. Now, I was an Olympian in Tokyo, and you know, it was special. And everyone will remember that. Absolutely. And, you know, Tom, to be pragmatic, just as importantly, this is going to mean survival for a lot of Olympic uh, governing bodies in many countries that are super dependent on the ability of their athletes to participate in the games and even medal because of the structure of Olympism in some countries. Uh, If we did not have the Tokyo Games, some of those federations would suffer enormously, meaning that the sports not just archery, but all the sports in many of those countries would really, really have problems. And, um, and, and that would lead to problems for people living in those countries. It really comes down to uh, many Olympic countries um, not being able to provide any kind of support uh, and, and derailing plans for Paris for a lot of people if we didn't have Tokyo. That's, 
that's a factor that I think is a very important thing to consider. It is, in fact, a humanitarian factor on some level for some countries. Absolutely, and okay, uh, I, we as as world governing body, I, we already, I would say, had to to cut quite a little bit uh, uh, certain aspects of, of what we are doing. I, I in terms of of headcount, uh, uh, we we were fifteen. Uh, I would say before the pandemic. At the moment, uh, as of as of next month, we will be ten. So uh, that's a serious reduction. Uh, and uh, and okay, we will survive if 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 the impossible would happen. Now, uh, I, I just saw before we had this podcast uh, a statement by the IOC that Tokyo is now in full operational mode, and it's it's not talk anymore about uh, cancellation and so on. That's uh, that's not going to happen. But but it it would have an, an a very bad effect on national level uh, because there there would be definitely federations that would disappear uh, simple yes. as that because there is already the, the the federations that that are very much dependent on membership uh, uh, I'm hearing uh, numbers at the moment of between 20 and 30 percent of reduction in membership now that's reduction in, in income uh, uh, and 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 also I would say on long term that's a reduction in in in, in the base of the pyramid meaning future talents. Yes, future champions and future coaches and the future of our sport. So we are very fortunate, uh, as you point out, that Tokyo is now fully operational and that things are moving ahead. And I think that, uh, you know, we, we dodged a bullet there to a degree. I think that that was something that uh, would have been devastating for our sport and many other sports if, if things had not come to pass to allow for the games. So yeah, it's going to be restrictive. Yeah, it's going to be different. But at the end of the day, as you point out, at the end, we will have new Olympic champions. We will have additional Olympic champions um, with the mixed team. And we will have a legacy that will get us to Paris in a very uh, much more smooth manner. And uh, I think at this point, that is, that is a good outcome uh, for our sport and for other sports and for people the, the millions of people whose dreams depend on the Olympic Games. Well, Tom, I, I know that this has been a, a very busy week for you. So I really appreciate you taking the time away from the action on the field of play in Lausanne to spend with our listeners. Um, we'll look forward to catching up with you again soon as we continue to move toward the Paris event and um, look forward to uh, also getting back together with you soon and maybe reminisce a little bit about the last quarter century at FITA and World Archery. Yeah, why not uh, bring back some good memories? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have certainly quite a few with you over those years, and uh, I'm sure that we have, we'll have some stories we can tell. Okay, pleasure as always, George. <laughs>